first grade and younger. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, this is Omaha Bible Church. You can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And 2 Corinthians 3 is one of the most cherished chapters of the Bible when it comes to Christians thinking, thinking about Christ and how great Christ is. It's intimidating. It's, it's so interesting to me that 2 Corinthians is one of those passages. We love it and it, it sounds familiar to us. And yet, it's in the context of polemics. It's, it's argument. Uh, it's interesting how the Bible works that way. One, one person said, if we left out the stuff in the Bible that was not argumentative or polemical, we wouldn't have much left. Uh, if you think of like Galatians, Galatians, you know, fruit of the Spirit. It's such a friendly letter. You know, books written on Galatians should have like peaches on the front because it's the fruit of the Spirit. And, and Galatians is like the most lambasting, polemical book there is defending the gospel, and so we love it because it, it defends the gospel and therefore uh, keeps it safe and pure, and we do love the outcome. We love the fruit of the Spirit. So go ahead and put peaches on your book. It's fine. Um, so many times bad things lead to good in the hands of the Lord, and that's what we have in Second Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is being attacked. His credibility is being attacked. Uh, he's being attacked because he doesn't emphasize the Old Covenant enough and Moses enough. He's being attacked because he's too bold. Other places in Second Corinthians, they're going to attack him because he's not bold enough. Um, he's going to be attacked because if he only preaches Christ and Christ is central to everything, it's not going to lead to people's lives being transformed. All of these kinds of attacks come up uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 3. So as we read it and as we work our way through it, keep those kinds of things in mind. He's defending himself, uh, uses sarcasm, uh, uses rhetorical questions. He uses the verbiage of those attacking him. If you keep those things in mind, it'll make more sense. So I want to cover the whole chapter. Uh, I wanted to cover the whole chapter last week, and we got half done. So we got the first nine verses, and now I'm going to do it all over again. Isn't that like the definition of insanity? Um, thinking by doing the same things over and over again, you're going to come to a different outcome or something like that? Well... I'm insane. Um, we're going to go quickly through the first nine verses. Then we're going to do the remaining nine verses. Um, it's one of those chapters, though, if I could, if, if I were preaching a candidating sermon trying to get a better pastor job somewhere with warmer climate in the winter, um, I wouldn't preach this text because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't preach well like a, in, a, in a sermon package. Um, but as a pastor who wants... Um, people I love to understand Christ better. Um, it, it, it's the kind of passage I would preach to you all because I, I want you to get Second Corinthians 3. I want you to go home and be able to read it and have it make more sense and to have it be easy because there are so many great things in here that have to do with you, with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with the Bible, uh, and with the ministry that we share in here, even though it's cold in the winter. <laughs> okay, let, let, let's jump right in. Let's go ahead and work through the first nine verses by way of review. And he says in verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Just a couple of comments because we're reviewing. 
rhetorical questions, using sarcasm. The Corinthians, the polytheists, worshiping all of these different gods, have come to believe in the one true God. That's miraculous. They've, they've become monotheists. They've come to believe in Yahweh. They, they've become Trinitarian. This is absolutely astounding. Only God does that. Only God can, can transform a person in that way. And the Apostle Paul preached the gospel to them. And they were converted. He goes, letters of recommendation, schmeckamendation. Are you kidding me? Are, this is ridiculous. Not only that, I, I was the one that preached to you. You know me. We have a history together. This would be absolutely ludicrous and insane for you now for me to somehow produce some kind of uh, letter of recommendation. You yourselves, look at your own lives. And not only that, that I love you and care for you. Me, a Jew, Paul would be saying, believing in Messiah. Now, I, I have the kind of love that I've had for you and I've shown for you crazy Corinthians. Huh. Recommendation? Are you out of your mind? Then if we move on in verse 3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Christ did it. He used the proclamation of His Word to do it. But He did it in and through us. Romans 10 would be a good cross-reference. Then let's keep reading. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Living God changes human hearts. Only God can do that. Now, what he's beginning to do is he's starting down this road where he's going to use new covenant talk. Where, like in Jeremiah 31, we won't go there now, we will later, but we did last week and in Hebrews. This new covenant talk where, where God puts his, his law inside of us. It's not against us anymore. He transforms us. It gives us new hearts. Uh, he, he's going to start going down that road so he can highlight that. And so just keep that in mind as we, we, we hear him use that kind of verbiage. How about verse 4? Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Okay? Better mediator, confidence through Christ. Uh, he, he's the better one. You're going to emphasize Moses and the fact that we shouldn't be so confident. Well, we have a better mediator in Christ. That's why we're confident. Verse 5 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. So there he names it specifically. New covenant is what we've been waiting for. In the old, it's types and shadows. All of human history has been waiting for the new covenant. Even the Old Testament promised it. It's here. And that's why we have such confidence. And then he says in verse 6, don't miss this, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And we know, according to our context, letter he's using for law, law of Moses, tablets of stone. There's no, there's no questioning about that in context. The letter kills. They want me to emphasize letter, letter kills. So why would I be wanting to promote that? New covenant, Christ, Savior, mediator, better mediator, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life because the Spirit is the one who regenerates. The Spirit gives life because the Spirit is the one who applies, in our greater context, applies the work of Jesus 
to us so that we benefit. The Spirit gives life. The contrast is, is, is plain and simple, and He wants it to be plain and simple. You want me to preach Moses? You want me to preach law? That doesn't save people. It shows people their sin, yes. But that damns people because no one can keep God's law. No, not one. Old Testament teaches that. New Testament teaches that. Spirit gives life. Spirit applies the work of Christ. That's why I emphasize Jesus, 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 Jesus. And if Jesus were speaking, he, he too would say, John chapter 5, Moses himself speaks of me. So, letter kills, spirit gives life. Then, for some more unpacking along the same lines in verse 7, now, if the ministry of death, that's a pretty good way to frame it, huh? How about that for a church sign? XYZ church, and then down below, a ministry of death. Give us more principles, give us more laws. A ministry of death. Right? Apart from the gospel, apart from Christ, he's going to call it a ministry of death. He's going to call it a ministry of condemnation. Maybe it's more practical than we realize. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory, such greatness and splendor, such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, How about verse 8? Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? The answer is meant to be obvious. Of course. So he's not saying it wasn't true. He's not saying it wasn't good. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul would, would commend the significance of the law. It's good, righteous, and holy. But if you approach it for your standing before God, it's no wonder you don't have any confidence. Because it'll actually, it's worse than you think. It will kill you. It will condemn you. The ministry of the Spirit, of course, gospel ministry is what he's talking about, will have more glory. New covenant gospel ministry, ministry of the Spirit will have more glory. It's greater than verse 9. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. I just want you to think about what verse 9 means. I think my advice to you last week is to be able to explain it to someone else at lunch. Ministry of condemnation, that's a law word, condemn, okay? It's the opposite of, of to be justified is to be declared righteous. From Romans 5, to be condemned is to be declared unrighteous or a lawbreaker. Condemnation, ministry of condemnation. Law condemns. It shows you your sin and it pronounces you guilty. Ministry of condemnation. Now the ministry of righteousness. That's, that's, righteousness means upholding law. Uh, it's a parallel partner word to justification. The ministry of, of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Both are law words. That's why we need Jesus to be the law keeper for us. We'll talk more about that. Maybe maybe one other thing we didn't talk about last week. Think of it in terms of 
it's like saying righteousness against you or righteousness for you. Maybe that helps. When he says ministry of condemnation, that's righteousness against you. God's law is against you. Righteousness against you. Ministry of righteousness, that's righteousness for you. Provided for you in and through Christ. He's preaching Christ because Christ is the key to them getting, receiving righteousness. Maybe it's not the best way to say it. Maybe a better way to say it would be to cross-reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So let's go to chapter 5. In, in a bad sense, my mind has 2 Corinthians rolling around all over in it, but it's also a good sense. So when you're reading the whole thing, I can't help but think in chapter 3 about what he says in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. And no doubt it's a letter, um, so it's meant to be seen together. So don't think I'm trying to read a bunch of stuff into this about this righteousness business. I'm trying to read into it what's in the context, and context of our chapter, but also other chapters. 2 Corinthians 5 is the classic text. Here's what everyone needs. Everyone needs righteousness. I know pastors who don't even know what righteousness means, so it's kind of a problem when our ministry is called a ministry of righteousness. I hope every Christian here today and non-Christian can at least know what righteousness means. To be righteous is to be seen as an upholder of God's law. Okay? So when you're justified by faith, you're declared righteous, you're declared an upholder of God's law. That's what righteous means. I know it's kind of a bad word because when we hear righteous in the 21st century in America, we think of self-righteous people. But righteousness is what God requires. God requires that people do what he says. And if we don't, we justly or fairly face condemnation. Okay? But if we trust in Christ, the righteous, His righteousness, His upholding of God's standard is credited to us. So that's why Paul is saying ministry of condemnation, if you're just going to tell people how to live and give them law, give them Moses, give them principles, that's going to only condemn them. They're never going to make it. But our ministry is a ministry of righteousness. Righteousness provided, righteousness given, righteousness granted, righteousness granted to those who believe specifically in Christ. Okay? Let's, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.19. In 19 it says, That is in Christ, so united to Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. That's law violation, right? Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Then notice verse 21. For our sake he, God, made him, the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. I would encourage you to notice the connection between verse 19, in Christ, and verse 21, this righteousness of God. It's the righteousness of God in Christ. It's provided for us from God, but it definitely is in Christ that it comes. This is where reconciliation comes. This is, this is gospel. This is, this is ministry. This is our ministry. He's going to punish the Son as if He were a law violator, and He never was, but He's doing it on our behalf. 
the, the one who did everything perfectly right, the, the righteous provided to us freely. So when Paul is in this fight with these false teachers who want more law, less Christ, there's no recon- reconciliation in that. It's just delusional. It's just do more try harderism if you're trying to be right with God through that. But if you have Christ's righteousness credited to you from God, freely given, it'll make you bold. You will have strong opinions about religion. <laughs> okay? And, and it'll be perceived even. Hopefully it's with humility because you're a sinner. You don't deserve it. But you, but you will sound bolder than the next guy or gal because your confidence is in one who has perfect righteousness. So now you know that you have been accepted by God. You've been reconciled to God because of the resurrection of Jesus. It worked. Okay? It, 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 it sets Christianity apart from everything else. We are saying God requires absolute perfection for anybody to go to heaven. And I'm not standing at the front of the line. Nobody's in the line except the one who does it for us. And if someone has done it for us, it makes us bold. I'm in by grace, through faith. Now I want to serve. Now I want to do the right thing because he's provided the way for me. Well, that's where we stopped last time. Ministry of condemnation. Ministry of righteousness. If we're supposed to have a ministry of righteousness, we better at least know what righteousness is. We're supposed to have that. I would like us to have that on our church sign, but it wouldn't make sense to most people. But in your mind, if we want to have a good ministry that's honoring to Christ, pleasing to Him, Omaha Bible Church, a ministry of righteousness. Not our righteousness, not self-righteousness, but a ministry of righteousness. What we proclaim is we proclaim Free salvation through all who would trust in Christ, who is the righteous. He's, he's met the requirements, both negatively in taking our sin away, atonement, and positively by providing. He loved his Father with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. He fulfills the law for us. Omaha Bible Church, a ministry of righteousness, because there's no hope without perfect righteousness. But if you have his perfect righteousness, you not only have hope, you have a bold kind of hope. You have a hope that's different than anybody else has. I want you to have that. I want us to be that clear. Should we move on? New stuff? Okay. Here we go. Indeed, verse 10 says, indeed in this case... What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For a certain people during a certain time serving a certain purpose, no glory at all now. Don't go back and think somehow it's law and gospel, gospel. Right? When, we, when we do that, we ruin both. Let the law have all of its hammering power, all of its intimidation, all of its strength and might, not, not water it down. 
And the gospel, the good news about Christ, the one who's provided it, who did everything necessary, who says it is finished. But when we try to blur the two and go back to the other, we ruin both of them. So let, let, let them both stand. This is what was going on in Romans chapter 10. I, I want to borrow from the Apostle Paul, hopefully appropriately. Uh, I think it is. But he talks about the law being a, being a schoolmaster. Designed to lead us to Christ. Well, all the pupils have graduated or aged out. One of the two served its purpose. The schoolmaster's without a job now. It's not necessary. Verse 11 says, For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, and it did, much more will what is permanent have glory. So, by the way, this, so this is it. This is endgame. This is central. Christ is the sum and substance of everything. It was, it's what we were all waiting for, even if we didn't, all, didn't know we were waiting for it. So, so, again, I think it's appropriate here to say, so we don't go back to the types and shadows, because that would seem weird. It wouldn't seem right. And I know this illustration isn't perfect, and, and it breaks down on certain levels, but I'm going to use it for somewhat of effect. I remember when, when Molly wrote me one of the first letters she wrote me. It might not have been the first one. But she wrote, and my wife, you know, trained to be an educator, perfect penmanship. I'm typing when I'm saying it. Perfect, every little thing. And she wrote me a letter. We used to do that, right? She wrote me a letter, and it gave directions on how to get to her family's home, their lake house. And she drew birds on there. And she drew the lake on there. And I probably still have it. But we have a lot of stuff, so I'm not sure where it is. It was a great letter. I was nervous, going to go meet her family and her parents and got to drive to Grand Island. I didn't even know where Grand Island was. Typical Omaha kid. I'm like, so I followed the directions. And and I thought, "This this is a great letter. This is awesome excited to go. But when I arrived, what I didn't do is sit in my little Chevy S10 pickup truck and look at the letter in the driveway. I didn't stay there through dinner time. Oh, this is such a great letter. Oh, I love, I love this letter. It's a wonderful letter. And then sleep in my truck because I've got a letter from Molly. Isn't this wonderful? No, I went inside, right? I was nervous, but I went inside and, and we had dinner and we talked and hung out and I was there with the week, for the weekend and all this kind of stuff with her family. It was great. I went to go see her because the letter served its purpose and once the letter served its purpose, I could fold the letter up and I could put it in the glove box and go inside already. She's the one I was looking for, right? Substance, if you will. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't work perfectly because the letter wasn't condemning me. So, I, I mean, right, it, it totally breaks down. But I'm trying to make the point that when you have the substance, the types and shadows, as good as they were, no longer, are no longer where it's at. It doesn't make any sense. All of that was designed to lead us to Christ, to show us in anticipation types and shadows. But the substance belongs to Christ. And now we're at this place where we are in our letter. Let's keep moving. It says in verse 12, 
since we have such a hope, a hope of what? Righteous, righteousness graciously given is our hope. Since we have such a hope, such a confidence, we are very bold. See, that makes all the sense in the world now. If our hope is in righteousness graciously provided through another, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So much better. Such a better mediator. Like not even in comparison. Then verse 14 says, But their minds were hardened. For to this day, how about, this is getting really, really interesting. To this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because, how about this? Here's what I highlighted. Only through Christ is it taken away. Only through Messiah, only through Christ, only through the gospel is the veil taken away. And he's going to talk about the, the, these unbelievers who have a veil over, over their hearts. It's a spiritual kind of veil. The only way to take the spiritual veil off is through Christ. So when they hear Moses does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. Let's keep reading. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Fascinating stuff. The interpretive key. The interpretive key to the Old Covenant is what? Or should I say, whom? The interpretive key for the Old Covenant is Messiah. It is Christ. I'm saying it that way and deliberately saying that way because sadly, crazily crazily enough, that's controversial. It's controversial in Christian circles. The Apostle Paul, under inspiration, when you, is saying this. In other words, when you read the Old Covenant, apart from Christ, you're showing you have a veil over your eyes. You're never going to get it. You're confused. But when you turn to the Lord, now you can see it for what it is. It's not the sum and substance. It's types and shadows. Types and shadows designed to lead you to Christ. When you turn to the Lord, when you turn to Christ, things make sense. You have the aha moment. Why would we want to pretend like we don't know Christ when we read the Old Covenant? It doesn't make any sense. Now we're, pretend, we're pretending like we're unbelievers. This is, a, this is a radical idea. It's pretty amazing what he's saying. I'll put it another way. When you turn to the Lord and the veil is lifted, now you understand that the Old Testament is a Christian book. It's a messianic book. Christ, Messiah. Types and shadows to point to Christ, to find fulfillment in Christ. But apart from Him, it only only condemns. 
veil is removed through the gospel. This is amazing. Verse 17 says, now, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now I think he's using Spirit again in a new covenant kind of way. Um, Jeremiah 31 kind of way, Ezekiel kind of way, Isaiah kind of way. Where, where, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where this new covenant reality is, there's freedom. I'd say, first of all, freedom from what? Freedom from the veil. And that, now, now your whole life could be an aha moment. You have freedom from the veil. Freedom from the condemnation, right, of the letter. Freedom from the false teachers who are trying to mislead you into thinking some, somehow otherwise. They're, they're, you have all this freedom. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from the veil. There, there's great freedom. You want freedom? Freedom is found here in Christ. Freedom from the law being against you. What's so interesting then in Jeremiah 31, I'm going to go ahead and turn there. You can turn there if you'd like to. But it's not like law is gone. But now law is different. So what I'm not saying and what Christians aren't saying, what the Apostle Paul is not saying is, no longer do you have any responsibilities. Now the law doesn't even exist. Law of Moses, Mosaic Law, certain purpose, yes. Certain people, yes. Fulfilled, Yes. But God still has His righteous standards. And in Jeremiah 31, law is talked about in the New Covenant. But it's talked about differently. So Jeremiah 31. How about, how about this in verse 33? For this is the covenant that I will make, 33, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. We're not reading the whole thing. We read more of it last week, but it's New Covenant prophecy. But do notice what he says there at the end of that verse. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I take it this way. What, what stood outside of us and stood against us for condemnation because we're law violators, now in Christ... By the power of the Spirit, new covenant reality, God's law is in us. It's not to condemn us anymore. and We become friends <laughs> in and through Christ. It's now for us. It's to lead us and to guide us. It's helpful to know things like love God and love neighbor. And if that's outside of me as my judge, I'm smoked. But now this internal reality, hearts of stone have become hearts of flesh made new by God and now we have new affections and now we have new desires. I'm not condemned. I'm justified. I want to do the right thing out of gratitude. And now the fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, love is what God's law requires. That's right. But I have a different relationship with God and therefore a different relationship with His law. Oh, this is good. This is wonderful. Now I can, like the psalmist who's thinking in these terms, say, Oh, your law, it's a light unto my path. Well, if you're not justified, the law of God is not a light unto your path. 
Okay. It's a lightning bolt in your head is what it is because you, 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 you don't follow it. You don't obey it. It's against you. But new covenant reality, it, it's now written on our hearts. It's not against us. It's so for us. It, it uses that kind of imagery. This is great and grand now. This is why, again, people have talked before us about guilt and grace and gratitude. Now out of gratitude, I want to do this. It did pronounce me guilty then I have salvation freely by grace, but now out of gratitude, I want to I live a different kind of life. Not so that God might accept me, but because He has accepted me. Freedom comes. How about verse 18? I told you we would do all 19 verses, and I'm not even going to lie. And we all, and I think the reason he says we all, this is true of all who are in Christ by faith. Okay? So it's the great equalizer. We're, we're, we're the same. Now, and now, we all, all who have faith in Christ, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory of the Lord in the gospel. Now we see it. Now, by the supernatural work of the Spirit, now we're free. Now we see it beholding this great gospel glory. Okay, focusing on, drawing our attention. We're in awe of it. We're beholding it. It's our everything. It's wonderful and great and grand. Our being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a great way of putting all this. We're transformed. I want life transformation. Everybody wants life transformation. How do I have a better life? How do I have a better uh, Christian life? How do I honor the Lord? How do I grow spiritually? How, 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 how? And the Apostle Paul's framing it up in gospel terms. We're beholding the glory of the Lord in the gospel. So no no wonder in Romans chapter 1, the gospel is for unbelievers. And also in Romans chapter 1 and 16, the gospel is for believers. For their growth, it, it's, it's about beholding the glory of the Lord and His greatness. It's why we're going to talk about the gospel next week it's for Christians. Okay, You want life transformation, it's not a, a bigger list of do's or else's. Life transformation is found in the greatness of Christ and resting in Christ. And it's out of that spiritual rest that you find yourself again moved to want to do what's right out of gratitude. Life transformation is not cut off from the gospel. He's using sanctification kind of terminology and he's tying it to beholding the glory of the Lord in the gospel. I remember one time someone who I knew in a different lifetime, not really, but they were, they were here visiting and or maybe it wasn't even here. I can't remember if it was here or it was in a different setting and they said, oh, I, I know what you're doing, talking about Jesus. Maybe it was a VBS thing. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I, I, I knew what you were doing. I said, oh, great. What was I doing? You know? Well, you're, talk, you're talking about the gospel. You were emphasizing Jesus. Yeah! <laughs> Ministry of the new covenant. No, I didn't say that. Because there were unbelievers there, weren't there? I'm like, yeah, there were unbelievers there. But you totally don't get it. Talking about Christ because there are believers here. Talking about Christ because there are unbelievers here. We talk about, we boast in Christ because that's where our confidence is. But 
He's not just for our salvation, He's for our sanctification. He's for our life transformation. We need more gospel, not I checked that box, now I know about Jesus, give me my do more, try harder mosaic laws. It's convoluted and backward. Christ is central to the whole thing. To the whole thing. I would suggest to you it's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper until He comes again to remind us. And it's not just to remind us that we were saved once upon a time and now we move on with our life. It's being transformed as we're beholding, as we are being transformed. We do, we do this very thing. I get so excited now I don't know what to say. Next week, what I might do, enough of you have asked me questions about some of these things. I might have us look at a couple of the passages and then deal with questions that relate to some of these things. I haven't decided yet. You can pray for me. Um, but in case we don't get, get there next week, I know Paul's talking about law of Moses versus gospel of Christ. And there are people that try to get us to do that. But think in terms of it doesn't have to be exactly that to be that in principle week in and week out I could preach from New Testament passages and their commands and I could treat you as if those are new laws for you to follow or else we don't want to do that that would be a ministry of condemnation we want to have a ministry of righteousness freely given in and through Christ and we want to do the right thing because of that. Because of that. So like in Ephesians, for example, you have husbands obey your wives and husbands, you should obey your wives. Not for your justification. <laughs> obey your wife because it's right and obey your wife because if you're in Christ, you want to honor Him and glorify Him. And so we don't just have chapter 5 in isolation. We have chapters 1, 2, and 3 that's all about being in Christ, all about resting in Christ, all about the provision of Christ. And then we have, now here's how you live your life because it's no longer you under condemnation. Now you're justified. Now you're forgiven. Now you're reconciled. Now do these things. Because you're a new creation in Christ. And we could lose sight of that. And we don't want to lose sight of that. That's why I say I like to preach slowly. And all God's people say no. <laughs> but I think sometimes I've preached too slowly and we've lost sight of the forest for the trees. We've got to remember Ephesians was a letter. And so when we're in chapter 5 digging in deep and it's wonderful and great, we have to remember what came before or it's like we're starting a new law. It's like legalism light. And legalism light damns just like legalism heavy. And so let's, let's work hard by God's grace and only by God's grace to, to, to be a part of and to be enhancing and helping uh, Omaha Bible Church to have a ministry of righteousness. A ministry of righteousness, not ours, but His, so that people can find hope and motivation and transformation. Sound okay to you? Righteousness provided freely by Christ. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for opportunities to look to Your Word. Um, help us not to boast in ourselves. Help us not to 
talk about how great we are or how terrible we are. Help us to point people to Christ who saves sinners freely according to, to his great love and power. Thank you so much for the great substitute who is Christ the Lord. In his name we pray, amen.